can we preach? So, so turn around and grab your Bibles. Just turn around and grab your Bibles. Just grab your Bibles. I'm going to take you to a narrative of Scripture. Let me just say this because this is how God works. It's so cool. Today, we're in this series called Summer Remix. And Summer Remix is us revisiting series from 2017 that might have been five or six weeks, four weeks long, however long. Us taking those series, shaking them back up, and re-presenting them to you in a fresh way. Well, what's so cool, and the praise team didn't know this, but what is so cool is, is that today the series that we're going to touch on is a series called Bones. And, 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 and the lyrics, how do those lyrics go again? Tell me what those lyrics are, Richard. All the earth shall shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. He goes, and, and all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great harmony. Come on and sing it again. Give him a great praise right where you are. Give him a great praise. Give him a great praise. Yes, somebody praise him. Woo! Somebody say, Jesus! Mm. So, take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that will become our learning lab for, for the day, and that is Joshua chapter 24 been gone for several weeks and that's all I can get Joshua chapter 24 then high five your neighbor and sit down I'm gonna let you somebody said amen I'm getting to sit down praise the Lord Woo. now let me just go ahead and preempt the conversation that we're gonna have today and tell you that we're gonna be all over God's scripture today we're gonna just read a lot of God's word is that all right I hope it's all right, because that's what we're doing. After all, you didn't come to hear my word. You came to hear his word. But before we go to the narrative that we will explore today, I want to read one verse of scripture that will plot our course. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Well, the whole chapter in and of itself, theologians call the Hall of Faith chapter. Why? Because it's this synoptic description of this collaborative effort of people of faith who've allowed God to work through them. Incredible things have happened as a result of their faith. But this verse in particular is very intriguing because this verse brings closure to something that happened hundreds and hundreds, even maybe even as many as 1,500 years before. This verse brings closure to all of those events. 
Let me read for you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. It says this, by faith, Joseph. Everybody say, by faith, Joseph. Somebody circle that in your Bibles. By faith, Joseph. Let me remind you for a moment who Joseph is. Joseph is Jacob's son. Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. Joseph's brothers don't like Jacob because, or, or Joseph because he, he woke up one morning after a dream because he was a dreamer and he went to his brothers and he said, one day all of you will bow down to me. It's probably a bad dream to tell your siblings. So they roughed him up, beat him up, sold him into slavery, told his father Jacob that he was dead. He suffered the atrocities of slavery and imprisonment for 20 years. But the Bible says during all of that, God showed him favor and elevated him. He became what we would call the vice president of Egypt. He was in charge of the agriculture. Well, unbeknownst to him, there was a famine that was taking place in Israel. So the people of Israel go to Egypt for solace. Here comes Joseph's family coming to Egypt asking for help. And when they get there, they realize who Joseph is. And when they realize who Joseph is, their relationships are restored and renewed. And, and, and all of the years that have passed in between have now been forgotten. And Joseph begins to embrace them. It's just a testimony that goes to show us in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It's also a testimony that goes to show us that when we are out of control, God is in control. It's also a testimony that goes to show us that when our life is in the pit, God is on the throne. It's also a testimony that goes to show that when we don't know what to do, he knows everything to do. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He knows the end from the beginning. Good Lord, have mercy. I got to calm down because I can't start preaching yet. I got a lot of work to do to set all of this up. So let me finish reading verse 22. It says, by faith, Joseph, everybody say, by faith, Joseph. When his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and he gave to them instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Somebody say bones. Hold on for a second. Here is Joseph doing something that maybe right now you're saying, where is the faith at in telling someone to do something with your bones after you're dead? But what you need to understand is what Joseph is doing hundreds of years before this was written is he's telling the people of Israel that they're about to go through a 400-year oppression. It's a prophetic word. You're going to go through 400 years of being oppressed. And at the end of that oppression, you're going to walk into a promised land that God promised to my grandfather Abraham. And when you do, you make sure that you put my bones in the ground there. Maybe you're saying, well, where's the faith at in that? But when you see all of the dots connected today... What you're going to see is the genius of God, how he uses the bones of Jacob, and he weaves those bones all throughout the historical context of the Israelites' journey for about 500 years. When you see all of those dots connected, you're going to say, oh, wow, God is incredible. 
So let me take you to our narrative that we will explore today. It's in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24 sets up what Joseph has been talking about or what is recorded in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And in Joshua chapter 24, we see this incredible man of God, this, this mighty warrior who has succeeded Moses. He's now led the people into the promised land. They've secured the promised land. Here is Joshua at the end of his life. He wants to have this remembrance ceremony for all of the people of Israel. So what Joshua does is he brings all of the people of Israel, that there are too many to count, back to a place called Shechem. Everybody say Shechem. They go back to Shechem before they settle into the land. He brings them there to give them a historical recap of the last 500 years. But what you need to understand when Joshua begins to give this oration to this group that is too many to count, he is reminding them of a promise that was given to Abraham in the same place almost 500 years before. But he's doing it with an illustration that is absolutely incredible. Behind him on that stage is a coffin. And in the coffin, as Joshua, who is old, knows this is the last opportunity to speak to the people of Israel, uses this coffin, and inside of the coffin are the bones of Joseph. The bones of Joseph have been something that have been a, has been a marker, if you will, for the people of Israel now for hundreds of years, especially for the last 40, as this coffin has followed them all around the desert. So look what happens, beginning in verse 1, when he gathers them together. Verse 1 says, Then Joshua assembled all of the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Somebody say Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel. And he presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all of the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says long ago. Your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. The historical recap. Verse 3, he says, But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him, somebody say gave. I gave him Isaac, and, and to Isaac I gave, somebody say gave. I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Hold on a second. He's saying, I gave, I gave, I gave, I gave. I gave to Abraham Isaac, and Isaac was asked to sacrifice, or Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, but I didn't have him sacrifice Isaac because I wanted to be known as the God who would deliver him. So I would not take away from Abraham what I had given him. Then watch what happens here. Verse 5 and following. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Lord, have mercy. 
I don't know if you're grabbing this, but, but you can read all throughout these several verses where Joshua is reminding them, really God is reminding them through Joshua that he gave, he delivered, he gave, he delivered, he gave, he delivered, he gave, he delivered. It reminds me of Psalms chapter 23 when it talks about the deliverance of God and how he delivers his people. When, when the psalmist David would write that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside of quiet waters. He restores my soul and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will not fear why because his rod and his staff they comfort me and then my God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies who else can do that other than God and then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life I feel like preaching first Peter chapter 5 says and the God of all grace after you have suffered for a little while will himself reach down and restore you and deliver you and make you strong and steadfast if God has ever brought you out of something then you ought to give him an incredible praise right now if you know that God has brought you out of something give him a praise verse 8 verse 8 it's a powerful verse because it says and I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you and took possession of their land. You know what he's saying? He's saying that I'd never told you that there would not be a weapon that would be formed against you. What I did tell you is though no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. Did you grab that? <laughs> Because he outlined for them the battles that they went through. And he was saying, Joshua, I never said that you would never have a war. I never said that there would never be a weapon formed against you. I just said that that weapon would never prosper. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see when Balak, the son of Zephor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, the son of Behor, to put a curse on you. However, but I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you. And again and again, I have delivered you out of his hand. Why? Because you cannot curse what God has blessed. Verse 11. Then you crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Sayalites, the who are the worst. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Let's get back to the scriptures here. But I gave them into your hands. Hold on a second. I, I don't know if you're catching this, but I gave them. I, I delivered you. I gave to you. I delivered to you. I, I gave to you. I delivered you. I, I gave to you. I delivered you. I gave to you. What he's essentially saying is that where you are is not a result of who you are, but rather whom you serve. Where you are is not a result of your talents or your abilities or, or what you've been able to do. Where you are is, is a result of me blessing you. Where you are is not a result of anything that you've done. It's a result of who I am. You didn't get there on your own is basically what he's saying. And the reason why he's saying that is because here is this generation of people who didn't really experience all of the atrocities of the last 500 years. So he's trying to refresh their memories of everything that happened to all of their ancestors. Because right now they're living in a blessing. 
And you know, sometimes when we're living in a blessing, we forget where the blessing came from. Sometimes it's easy for us to embrace the blessing as if we were the creator of that blessing. And we'll say things like, well, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. No. When you understand that the creator of the universe who ordered the stars in the sky also wrote out the blueprint of your life, you'll realize that you were in the right place at the right time because God placed you there. And so here is Joshua giving this last sermon, this incredible oration. The backdrop is the coffin with Joseph's bones in it. And he's trying to give them a frame of reference. He's reminding them about all of the past experiences where God has showed up in an incredible way. When they found themselves in a desperate situation, there was God. And what he's hoping to do is give them a new frame of reference where they realize that because of their experiences and how God showed up then, that they can expect God to show up again the same way. Keep in mind, they have some of, most of them haven't lived out, many of them haven't lived out, but maybe just the last 40 years, and the last 40 years was difficult, and maybe there were times when they were like, well, where is God at? When is, when is he going to show up? But the, the 400 plus years that preceded that were even worse. And so he's trying to remind them that, let me give you a new frame of reference. And the frame of reference is God did it before. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. And because your ancestors have experienced it, you can just expect it. But then watch what he says in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. And then look what it says. You ought to underline this in your Bible. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. Somebody look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of today's conversation. You did not do it on your own. Look at somebody else and say, you did not do it on your own. Here is Joshua trying to cause the people to see that the place that they are is a direct result of the graciousness of God. You see, some of you find yourself in a place that you don't like. Can I tell you something? The power that you have inside of you to break out of the place that you are comes from God and God alone. He's the only one that can give you the power to overcome what is coming against you. And that is what Joshua is reminding the people of. And that's why the psalmist writes that the Lord is my help. He is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. He is my stronghold. He is my refuge. He is my salvation. Lord have mercy. He is my fortress and my shield. But it's the next verse. It's the next verse that's so powerful. And so again, he says, so I gave. Somebody say gave. I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities that you did not even build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not even plant. Did you grab that? I gave to you cities that you did not even build. You're enjoying the fruit of a vineyard that you did not even plant. You did not do it on your own. 
But because I loved you so much, so I set you up. Somebody needs to hear this. Because you thought that God was not doing a work for you. For the 40 years that they were in the desert, they were wandering around, wondering when God was going to show up. They thought that they were waiting on God, but God was waiting on them to get to a certain location. What you need to understand is that the enemy has done many things to try to keep you out of what God has for you. But all he's done is prepare the vineyards for you. Good Lord have mercy. Is somebody going to help me? You see, the enemy has done everything that he can. And while God was waiting on you, he took the enemies of your life and he began to use them to prepare for you the very vineyards that you are enjoying the fruit from. And at that moment, as they're eating those grapes, they realize, hold on a second, there is something to this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for me, then tell me who can be against me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. If God has ever given you a vineyard that you did not plant, then I want you to give him some love right now. Come on, give him some love. Come on, Give him some love. If you realize that you did not do it on your own, give him some love. But once you understand the context of what Joshua is really saying at that moment, you'll really understand how beautiful this story is. Because what you have to keep in mind is that here is Joshua preaching to a group of people, the Israelites, who are now too many to count, reminding them about one man who went to Shechem and God gave him a promise. Hold on a second. Let me pause here. Because here is Joshua at the end of his life wanting to give them an illustration, something that they can hold on to, something that they can remember, something that they can realize that if God did it before, he'll do it again. And he calls them all back to Shechem. Shechem is the place when Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldeans. God called him to a land, and the Bible says Abraham didn't know where he was going. But when he got to the place called Shechem, God said, this is your land. So Abraham built an altar there, and he said, I'm building this altar to give thanks unto God. So here is Joshua with the backdrop being this coffin of bones from Joseph, calling the attention of all of the people of Israel, who are too many to count, to a promise that was received 400 plus years ago at the very same location called Shechem when God came and met with one man and he said, you, your descendants will be too numerous to count. And then all of a sudden they look around and they realize there's too many to count. And here is Joshua reminding them, you've been saying you wanted God to do a work for you, but what you need to realize, it's the work that he wants to do in you that prepares you for what he has for you. And if you didn't allow him to do the work in you, you would never walk into the vineyard in the first place. So sometimes we have to go back to Shechem. Here he is bringing everybody back to Shechem to remember all that God had, had promised and all that God had done in the last 500 years. 
bringing them back to Shechem. Sometimes you have to go back to Shechem to remember all that God has done. Sometimes you have to go back to Shechem and revisit everything God did when you found yourself in that difficult place. Sometimes you have to go back to Shechem and realize that in that hard place that God showed up when you didn't know what to do. Sometimes you have to go back to Shechem when you're in that low place and realize how God elevated you in your lowliness. Sometimes you have to go back to Shechem and realize that God gave you a peace that surpassed all understanding when your life was in pieces. Sometimes you have to go back to Shechem so that you can cry out to God and remember all that he's done. So here, think about this. Here is Joshua highlighting the last 500 years, but he does not draw their attention to the difficulties of the last 500 years. He draws their attention to the beauty of who God is in the last 500 years and what he's doing now for you when he says the land that you live in is the land that your fathers had hoped for. It's the promise that they hoped that they could occupy. And now you are enjoying the grapes from the very vineyards that you did not even plant. In other words, sometimes you can be in the promise and not even appreciate it. So here he is, bringing their minds back to all that God has done. And he's saying that you did not reach your destiny without seasons of desperation. But in that desperation, God showed up. And now the reality of your life is you are enjoying vineyards that you did not even plant. What he's saying is that you cannot allow your reality to influence your theology. But your theology must always govern your reality. And that's why he's drawing their minds to the beauty of who God is. I love this narrative. Because it's also proof that God's word will never return void. Here they are, more than you can count, at the place called Shechem that Abraham walked up on several hundred years before. And God said, this is the place. And your descendants will be too many to count. And here they are, too many to count. But the more that I studied Joshua's sermon, I, I, I read through it and 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 I studied it. And I realized that there was something missing. And what was missing was their failures. He did not list their failures. He talked about their progression but he did not talk about their imperfections in their journey. Why? Because the enemy, that is, that's all he does, is he reminds you of your brokenness. That's all that the enemy does, is reminds you of your brokenness. But what God does is he reminds you of how he delivered you. He reminds you of his goodness. He reminds you of how he created you. And what Joshua is saying is, Joshua, whose name is Yeshua, is pointing to the coming Messiah, whose name will be Yeshua. And what he's saying is, that when you have a good relationship with God, when you have a relationship with the Lord, when you have a relationship with Jesus, when you walk with the Lord, he will be there for you to lead you and to guide you. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And so here on that stage that day, He's presenting a message to a group of people that he wants them to hear something loud and clear. With the bones of Joseph behind him, he 
begins to remind them not of all the times that they were in despair, but all of the times that God has shown up. Some of you need to stop hanging out with people who are reminding you of what you're not. You need to stop hanging out with people who are reminding you of your brokenness and start hanging out with some people who will wrap their arms around you and love you into your destiny. Some people who will remind you that God will lift you up and dust you off and he'll walk you into a destiny that he's only created for you and remind you that God created you fearfully and wonderfully you are made and they will remind you that what the enemy has done to keep you out, all God is going to do is set you up for the vineyards that you did not plant and he's going to use your enemies to do it. So what you need to understand is the place that God is taking you. You cannot get there on your own. But when you realize that it's only him who can swing that door open wide, you'll begin to walk into something that God has for you. Somebody ought to give him praise up in this place. I got a lot stored up in me. But what you need to understand is really what Joshua was doing was using the coffin of Joseph to illustrate something. And what he was illustrating is from the time that he pronounced the prophetic word over us, and even before him, when his grandfather received a word at Shechem, until now... God has shown up. And so what he's trying to say to them is it's hard to appreciate something that you did not invest in. You hear me? It is hard to appreciate something that you did not invest in. You see, when God poured out a blessing upon these people, some of them didn't know the atrocities of the hundreds of years before. Yes, they had heard about it, but they didn't experience it. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget where the blessing came from because we're the recipient and not the originator. And sometimes you can be looking for answers in your life, but forget the solutions that God has already provided. Is somebody going to help me preach? So here, Joshua preaches this message, and he begins to talk about the miraculous nature of God. He begins to talk about the, the miracles of God. And, and let me tell you something. The greatest miracles in your life are not the tangible miracles that you can see. They're the intangible miracles that you've experienced. It, it's not, the greatest miracle is not your house, it's not, not your car, it's not your possessions, it's not your clothes, it's not your bank account. It, it's the time that God set you free. It's the time that God showed up and you didn't know what to do. It's the time that God made a way and you didn't know how to, how to get to that. It's the time that God gave you a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the time that God saved you when you couldn't save yourself. You didn't do it on your own. Look at your neighbor and say, you didn't do it on your own. So here is, here, is, here is Joshua using this coffin as an illustration. And, and he's trying to draw their attention to the beauty of who God is in the midst of all that they've experienced and all that they will experience. And what he's basically saying is, is every place that you have been is preparation for where you are now. 
And when you thought that you were down and out and you didn't know what to do, God knew what to do. When your life was broken into a million pieces, God gave to you a piece that surpasses all understanding. When you didn't know how to get across that Red Sea, God parted the waters when the Egyptians were coming against you. When you didn't know how to walk into the promised land, he caused the Jordan to flood back so that you could walk into what you have right now. When you were thirsty, he provided water. When you were hot, he provided a cloud. When you were cold, he provided a fire. When you were down and out and didn't know how to pay your bills, God gave you a job. When you didn't know how to get out of the mess that you were in, God turned it into a message. When you felt like the test was too much, you realized that it was nothing more than a testimony. So what he was saying to the people of Israel is you've been looking at those bones and you've been thinking about your past, but those bones are not there to remind you of your past. Those bones are there to remind you of your future. Good Lord, have mercy. Mm. Y'all feel the Lord? Verse 14. I'm going to try again to get this bottle of water open. Now fear the Lord and serve him. Everybody at home, that's epicenter water. An infomercial. God bless our internet campus. Somebody say amen. amen. Now fear the Lord and, I, and serve him, verse 14, with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And serve the Lord, hmm. who's calling their attention that, to the truth that there is one true God. Watch this. But serving but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He doesn't say, I'm going to serve the Lord in something else. I'm going to serve the Lord in someone else. He says, I'm going to serve the Lord, not just on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or on Sunday because it's easy, but I'm going to serve the Lord every day. But, but let me show you something. It's verse 29 and following. Just skip down. Verse 29 says, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the land of his inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim north of Mount Gash verse 31 Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for Israel then verse 32 and Joseph's bones somebody say Joseph's bones which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver. His father had bought this tract of land. <clears throat> he gave it to Joseph, his son. And it says, from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. Don't read the last line. Because when you read just this verse by itself, it, it really, even if you've read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it just seems like this verse is an inconsequential footnote. 
But then my mind went to Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 25 and 26, put, put that up for me. Genesis chapter 50, verses 25 and 26, this is Joseph talking to the people of Israel who now reside in Egypt. At the end of the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, and Joseph says this, he says, And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Hold on a second. Then, Darren, they go through 400 years slavery and then 40 years in the desert so they're carrying this man's bones all around this desert and you know they're tired at times and they drop his coffin they're worn out tired beat up they're carrying this man's bones around and remember this sermon when joseph is preaching or joshua is preaching it's the, the bones are behind him and but 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 now they're they're burying the bones but look what it says it says this became, go back to verse 32, the last sentence says, this became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Hold on a second here. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. What the people of Israel had been looking at for years was this coffin that represented their past. But now we see the faith that it took for Joseph 400 years before to say, I want you to bury my bones back in Shechem, the place that it all began, the place that God gave to my grandfather a promise. I don't want you to put my bones in the ground until that happens because it will happen. You carry my bones around. And they carried his bones around and people thought it was a marker that, that talked about their past. But what it really was was God reminding them that they're going into that promise. But hold on a second. Because really the story doesn't end there. Here all of his people are gathered around. More than you can count at Shechem. Joshua has brought them back there. But then over in the New Testament, in John chapter 4, there is this story about Jesus going to this little Samaritan village by the name of Sychar or Sychar however you want to pronounce it and it's the woman who's at the well and theologians and even people during Jesus' day said why would you go there Jews and Samaritans they don't mesh and you've gone there in the middle of the day this woman comes with a, a vessel in hopes that she can get water to take back to her village and Jesus meets her there and he is the water that can quench her thirst and the Bible tells us that she leaves her vessel there after God or after the Lord reads her mail and she receives the water that he's talking about she leaves the very vessel there that she came to retrieve water because now she's been filled with the water of the spirit if you will she runs back to the village and many people come and the Bible says and many believe in the Lord preachers preach that passage of scripture and they talk about you know that why did the Lord go out of his way to go to this village all for the one because he's consumed with the lost that one person and then because of that one person many others were saved and there's so much truth to that 
However, what you don't realize when you're reading that story is a few hundred years or so before Jesus was born, the, the Sychar, the name was changed from Shechem to Sychar. So why did Jesus go out of his way? Because he was going back. He was going back to the place that the promise began. He was going back to the place. What he's trying to show us in this story is that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And God will open up the door. You cannot do it on your own. And you will eat from vineyards that you did not even plant. And if God did it before, he will do it again. He'll walk you into a promise. You cannot do it on your own. And he'll take the bones of your life and give you the inheritance that he's promised over you. Is somebody going to get up in this place and begin to give God a radical praise that only you can give to him? Come on and give him praise, church. Aren't you glad that you're not doing it on your own? <laughs> 